just that fact when you speak about the inequality, just think about when we were required to go to virtual learning and then we realized that not everybody has a device. Mm-hmm. Then we realized that, man, not everybody has internet. So the unfairness of education, I mean, it's it, it's always been there, but it's sort of like that elephant in the room that everybody wants to talk about. We all know the families that struggle. We, we know about it from day one, that this is the family. We know that you know there are a whole lot of things that's going on and we did nothing to assist them. It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie, alongside... Spence is here. And... Amy. All right, have y'all ended y'all little uh, Madden feud yet, or is that still going on from our previous podcast? It's still, it's still going on. I'm going after Mr. Miyagi now. Wax on, wax off. He don't want this smoke. Go ahead and get your coach. Get your coaches, coach. Get everybody. How do you feel about that, Jamie? I, you know what? I did. A, I did good. I'm getting better every time I play. I feel like I'm. I've become part of the game a little bit. So I'm ready. I'm ready. And I talked to my second coach today. So I'm really, really ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you tell your sensei he don't want this smoke either. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking about Madden in the last couple of podcasts because we're going to put together a Madden tournament and a Y two K tournament so that we can um wait uh celebrate life and and, and raise mm-hmm. some money for some uh, needy families and organizations and in, in the New Jersey area. So um every podcast we kind of uh we're practicing because uh, we're mm-hmm. old people. We're not young people who have all this time to you know devote to uh playing PlayStation. But while mm-hmm. we're quarantining, uh, we got to get our skills up the the par so that we can make this competition um interesting so to say the least. So apparently Kareem has 16 years experience and Jamie mm-hmm. just picked up the sticks. Two so days. Two days. <laughs> Two days. <laughs> on the previous podcast, um, the last uh, podcast that we had, we had um, Ariana on down in New Orleans. What you guys feel about that particular podcast? I think that the work that she's doing um, and showing others that your career doesn't have to stop in the classroom. So when when you start to feel a little uncomfortable and you when you feel like it's time to move on, that doesn't mean that you actually have to to switch grade levels. Sometimes it's necessary to really to go out and do it yourself and show others that there is a better way to be able to reach out and touch families and as well as educate them. Absolutely, Jamie. How did you feel about that podcast? You know, it really made me think about where I'm at in my career. I've gotten to the point where I don't care what others think if I know I'm doing what I need to in the classroom, but it's making me start to think, should I do something else? Mm-hmm. Got you, got you. So that was definitely an empowerment, um, empowering podcast that we had. Uh, so shout out to Ariana. Don't forget her books that are out there. That information uh, was up on the previous podcast. Uh, she has two books out there, and um, she's doing some wonderful things, podcasts of her own, um, and, and she's putting that work down there in New Orleans. Um, who's actually? This is actually their second wave of, uh, I guess, a catastrophic event. Uh, as you remember, a couple of years ago, they were dealing with Hurricane Katrina um, and the educational system and the aftermath of that. Um, so now we're dealing with this quarantine. So, um, you know, shout out to them. Um, hopefully they're, they're safe and um, just like everyone else. But um, we always preach at this particular time to make sure that you are using this time wisely uh, and preparing for uh, the back end of this thing. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get through this, um, but you need to be ready. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for you um, out there once, you, uh, once we get through this. 
Um, mm -hmm. Part of what we do here at the Empowerment Perspective Group is that we highlight people that are doing great things. Um, in the previous podcast, we talked about leadership. We talked about mm -hmm. who's going to be the next leader um, of our generation. Um, so one of the areas that we wanted to look into is the area of politics. Um, mm -hmm. Politics is something that we haven't really talked about, discussed on the Empowerment Perspective Group uh, that much. Um, but obviously, our, our political leaders are at, you really are at the forefront right now of what's going on across the country. Um, and in some cases in, in the world, um, even locally. Uh, let's not forget, you know, your local governors, your local uh, congressmen, senators, senators, all that stuff. Um, there's some powerful people that are um, mm -hmm. doing the work right now. So we decided to, to reach out and do our network. Shout out to Gary Monteroso who hooked us up um, with this particular uh, contact. Um, but this gentleman that I'm going to introduce um, is really interesting to me because he is from South Jersey. Um, Violent mm -hmm. is not too far from us. I'm very familiar with Violent um, in the area, uh, but he's putting in a lot of work. Um, looked a little bit into his story. Um, education is important to him, so kind of want to give him an opportunity to talk about that in that space and also some of the things that um, he's working on um, for not only South Jersey, but also uh, across the, the United States as well. So, Will Cunningham, welcome to the show, sir. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for uh, agreeing to be on. Sorry for all the, the craziness in the beginning, but uh, we're rocking and rolling right now. And you're normal now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I just want to dive right into it because I know a little bit about your story, Violin, um, New Jersey. Um, uh, I believe you. One of the clips that I saw, um, you spoke about um, just being you and your mother and how education was important to you. Uh, let's just start um, a little bit about your background in terms of uh, where you've come from, how you kind of grew up and why education is important to you. Yeah, happy to do that. You know, for me, um, telling my personal story on a campaign trail is is integral. Um, I it's important that people understand when I, when I say I'm going to represent them, it's because I have the shared experience of hardship here in South Jersey. Um, that's because I was born to a teenage mom um, whose family was on food stamps. You know, I was brought from the hospital to Section 8 housing. Um, so I know that life, to be quite frank. Um, and for part of my high school career, for a substantial, almost half of it, we were homeless. Um, you know, my mom has always been an hourly wage worker. She's still an hourly wage worker. She's actually an essential worker these days. She's been going to work every day of this pandemic. Sure. Um, and I have some thoughts about that. But um, for me, you know, homework was always a prerequisite to to playtime. You know, that was always just impressed upon me in the household. You gotta, you know, no one ever forced me to get straight A's, but they did <laughs> force me to do my homework at the very least. Um, and I think it was, you know, despite all the hardship, a lot of folks in my family and in in my you know church and school guidance counselors sort of recognized um, something within me the, the ability to do well in school and sort of fight despite the obstacles um, but it wasn't obviously this is it's not easy right and um, it shouldn't it shouldn't take someone having to overcome all that to change their lives and that's why I'm really in politics because I know folks need a fighter who really deeply intimately understands the struggle um, you know the my whole, my high school counselor, um, you know, I'm not sure. I know you guys are, um, you know, you're familiar with Vineland. Do you know the the Travel Inn? It used to be, it's gone now, but it used to be a hotel right on the corner east in the land of Red and Vineland. Is that where the bowling alley was, Will? No, it's um, it's where the Landis Theater is. It's diagonally across where the Landis Theater was. Okay. Yeah, so that was just like a known low-income hotel for criminal activity, things of that nature. That's where we lived for for almost two years when I was in high school. 
Um, and the reason that the only reason it even became public, uh, my guidance counselor called me down her office one day. This might've been 11th grade. Um, because for months, like for, for several months, mail was coming back to Vineland high school marked undeliverable because you can't really send mail to a hotel room. Um, and so she called me down and asked me about that. Um, and she was the only person, only adult in that high school who knew like my closest friends, like maybe one or two really close friends in high school knew my situation. Um, but I was really honest with her and she didn't, it wasn't, she didn't report it because it wasn't an issue. I had a 4.0. Um, mm-hmm. So as long as I kept that up, she, she kind of just kept hurt my secret to herself. Um, it didn't really come out the, until, you know, I, I think the daily journal, the, the local paper here in Cumberland County um, reached out to the high school guidance counselors, any, you know, inspirational stories, any, anything we should highlight about this graduating class of 2003. Um, and they told, you know, she told them I, I had been recently accepted into an Ivy League school, Brown University. Um, you know, there was a program called the, well, Gear Up. I think a lot of, uh, Gear Up still exists throughout the country and in, in New Jersey. They had taken their um, lowest, lowest income, but highest achieving students on a college tour um, from you know, we visited schools in New Jersey. We went all the way up to to New England, and we um, we had an overnight visit to Brown. And I just fell in love with the campus, and I was I worked as hard as I could to to get in. Um, and and in some some really odd way, living in that hotel is um, what drove me to uh, accelerate to to be as involved in in extracurricular activities, right? Because to get into an Ivy League school, you know, you can have the perfect grades. You got to be bringing something more. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, to be quite frank. And, you know, I did not like living in that hotel. I didn't want anyone to know I was living in that hotel. I was, in, I was an insecure 15 year old. Like, no one, you don't want your friends to know that kind of stuff about you. Um, and so I joined quite literally any kind of club I could join to stay after school as long as possible. So I was on the football team. And then when football season ended, I was doing mock trial and debate team. I was in select choir. I got a part-time job in McDonald's. Like I was keeping myself as busy as possible to never be in that hotel room or in those premises. Um, and all, all the while keeping my grades up and then senior year rolled around and I had uh, an Ivy League application. That is awesome. Now, Green, <laughs> you do some things with middle schoolers in terms of exposing them to colleges and things of that nature. And I think uh, Will's story kind of attests to the power of uh, exposure. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, especially as early as we can. Um, talk a little bit about what you do with the middle school kids. Uh, and I've, I've obviously seen it myself, but um, and why you decided to do those things on your level. Yeah. So what I, you know, I was always so grateful for that experience I had, you know, getting that exposure um, to a school like Brown and getting that opportunity to be on that campus for four years. It was transformative. It, it literally changed my life. And so I decided my first job out of college, I wanted it to be as impactful as possible to serve uh, populations of kids that I had a lot in common with, kids of mm-hmm. color, low income, who are gonna have additional obstacles in their life to really change their life outcomes. And so I applied to a program called Teach for America. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a national um, nonprofit organization and they, they, sell, they, recruit, um, they recruit college graduates who didn't necessarily, you know, plan to be to be teachers and their whole mission is to close the achievement gap in the hardest hit schools and communities um, that and that achievement gap exists along unfortunately along racial and economic lines 
And mm -hmm. so um, I and you, you have to commit two years. I mean, several people, a lot of my friends stayed in education. They become lifelong teachers, principals, super, like administrators. Um, but it was important that at least for those two years out of college before, because I always knew I, I kind of always knew I wanted to go to law school. Um, but I wanted to do something substantive before doing that. And I, that's, you know, I taught middle school social studies for two years. Yeah, so oh, you know, I know that from the environment that I grew up in. Um, and when Will talks about self-esteem, typically when you don't have options, what you normally will gravitate to is what you like. So you have your guards, you have money, and you have clothes because you want to build up your, your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of decisions are made early in high school to go illegal routes, be able to obtain what they need, because mm -hmm. this is all the information that people are giving them. So Will was, was fortunate enough to be able to have someone to expose him. Now, I would like to have seen them expose him a lot earlier in middle school, because that may have driven him even harder to the point where he didn't have to use gear up. He probably mm -hmm. could have had scholarship money. Like with Will's mm -hmm. story in itself, it's probably, I want to say, at least five or 6,000 scholarships that he could apply for, and they would just gave it to him right off the bat. Like the, the ability to overcome homelessness and still have 4.0 versus those that didn't have any type of issues in their life. You're talking about kids that have pretty much perfect lives at home, aren't able to do what Will is able to do. So when you, when you have that in a student and you see it early, you know that there's an internal drive that's unlike no other. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to give them resources that they can look at and go home and say, you know what, I don't like this particular environment that I'm in and I need to find a way out. So what I do with all my middle school kids is I expose them to as much as possible. I give everyone an opportunity. Why? Because mm -hmm. it wasn't given to me. So when Will talks about going to law school, I give my middle school students the LSAT test. I get there, take it, take a look at it. <laughs> you want to go to medical school? No problem. Here's the end catch because you need to know exactly why this information that we're teaching you every day is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that I mean, and that's that is crucial. Um, but also, it's just a matter of knowing that here locally, somebody mm -hmm. overcome, right? Somebody that could. Th th this isn't a story that I think we we've always heard these stories, but not necessarily in our own local community here in South Jersey, which is why mm -hmm. it's so important for me to tell my story because I know people need to hear. It. I know kids are still struggling, and I know you guys talked earlier about um, you know New Orleans. Some of mm -hmm. I when I was teaching, I'm 34, so take that as you will. I'd probably people say I look younger than that, but I, I taught in Houston, Texas mm. in 2007. I had Hurricane Katrina evacuees in my classroom. I had kids from New Orleans who were replaced in Houston. Um, and so, you know, we, we're talking about real trauma with young mm. kids in these classrooms um, and across the country. So it's, it's, it's real. It's definitely uh, interesting. And, and I think a lot of educators who listen to this, and I think you know, they know it, but some, a lot of these kids, we're they're the last hope, right? Their last mm -hmm. chance at it, you know what I mean? So it is our responsibility to make sure that we are exposing them to as much as we possibly can. Um, and hopefully that it will spark something in um, these, these children are intelligent individuals. Um, they persevere through a lot. Um, mm -hmm. That lesson of perseverance in itself is, could be so powerful um, if they could get out of that mm -hmm. mind frame, you know, their environment. Um, and our job as educators is really to expose these kids to as much mm -hmm. as we possibly can and be compassionate and understand that mm -hmm. they're bringing that baggage into the classroom. Yes, they mm -hmm. might be angry, they might be hungry, they might be tired, and mm -hmm. we got to stop, you know, and think for a second that, you know, because not all of them are going to let you know what's going on. Uh, my story mm -hmm. 
part of the world. Like no one knew that I was getting abused and mm -hmm. all that stuff, but it was normal to me. So, mm -hmm. but I still brought those uh, behaviors with me into into the classroom. And you need to have compassion, and you need to be there to open. That's, up. that's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think a lot of it's been you know, Teach for America has they 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 specialize in that kind of training for you know not just taking these you know, these, these Ivy Leaguers and putting them in the classroom saying you work mm -hmm. magic. They they specialize in that kind of training, that compassion, you know, understanding communities, building relationships. Cause even for me, like even even I understood I understood these kids better than most because I went through the same struggle. And I kind of went in thinking I was going to be like an authoritarian in my classroom. I was going to like whip everybody in shape. We're going to overcome the odds. We're going to beast these tests and um, and you guys are going to, you know, change your life outcomes. You got to build relationships first more than mm -hmm. anything else. And if they don't trust you, if they don't know that you understand what they're going through, the wall's up and you can't get through. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Jamie, I see you shaking your head up there. Um, how do you, I know we talked about this on previous podcasts. Do you bring your personal experiences into the classroom a lot so that you can have those relationships? Yes, I think that um, students need to hear that we as teachers have a past too. And our past isn't always picture perfect. So if you can find a place to relate, you have to listen to your students first. And if you can find somewhere to relate to them somehow listen to what they're saying once you have them on board you could teach them anything but you yep. have to get them on board first mm -hmm. i think ariana on a previous podcast when she said the teacher wrote the phone number up on the board mm -hmm. about a personal thing i mean i think that's obviously the beginning part of, of making that connection um and mm -hmm. and uh, i think a lot of teachers are afraid to do that um because they always think the negative of it frank uh, mm -hmm. the phone and all yeah. that yeah, now I wouldn't necessarily uh, advise anybody to put their personal phone number up on it because, again, as a fourth grader, me knowing how I terrorize the classroom, listen, I'm going to write your phone number on the bathroom wall. I'm going to write, if you need help, call this number. I'm going to be at back that time. We used to go to the mall. So I'm going to write it on the wall. If you on the tables, if you need help, you need to call such and such, especially if you threw a steak lab. Absolutely. I'm going to make sure we put you on blast. You too, funny. So well, I want to get into why politics. Mm -hmm. um, um, you I had an avenue to go the teaching route, but you decided, I, I, maybe it was before then, but why politics? Why did you decide to go into politics? Yeah, I think I just always wanted to be an advocate for people. And mm -hmm. um, for me, it was about giving back. And this was the avenue that I thought I could best give back and really be a fighter. And, I th and it's, it's been so obvious, especially in politics, that we don't have uh, we don't have regular people in these roles. These are really important, you know, decisions being made that in, that drive our country, that impact everyone's lives, and we don't have working class people at the table. Like I'm an Ivy Leaguer from a working class family. Like, my mom, like my mom, and my brother are essential service workers. They're still working every day during this pandemic. I don't know how many Congress people can say that, and that's the problem mm -hmm. because we we have people drafting this legislation people who are making decisions about how much a family needs in a stimulus check and they are millionaires and they don't understand. And that's mm -hmm. why we got $1,200 and not what we actually needed, which was far more than that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, cause that, listen, I've already had conversations like that $1,200 that you send me, that won't even get me through a week. I can tell you that now because no, when we was all there, I paying bills. So that won't even get me through a week. Um, no, you have a, a man who's the, the, the treasury secretary, Steve Mnuchin, said mm -hmm. something outlandish this week say, saying that he thinks that's enough for people to get by for 10 weeks. I don't know what world he's living in. We, he is clearly a multimillionaire who's never struggled anything in his life, but that's the problem. We need people who can forcefully push back against that 
who understand that that's not realistic. 10 weeks, $1,200? Yeah, that's so what I'm supposed to live on $120 a week. That won't even get me through tomorrow. I can tell you that right no, now. Absolutely not. Hmm. And the person like me, I don't even get it. I just missed the, the cutoff. <laughs> 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 I don't even get $1,200. <laughs> yeah, right? But, but look at look at how they came up with that $1,200 figure, right? So if you break it down, minimum the average national minimum wage the federal lowest it can be is $7.25. $7.25 times 40, 40 hours a week times that by four weeks in a month, that's $1,160. They basically just gave everyone a minimum wage monthly check. Mm. And we put ourselves in this position because we have not had we have not had federal legislation that has boosted a guaranteed minimum wage of what we know is a livable, well, $15 isn't even livable, but that's what we've been pushing for and we don't have it. Mm-hmm. And it was, so we, the Democrats started out in that negotiation in a weak spot because the minimum wage was already so low. Mm, got it. That's crazy. But, but I, I know, I guess, again, from the community I grew up in, I know that lack of economic opportunities will lead you to engage in tough in other activities. And, you know, and I guess this is why we have survival mode, um, yeah. It's not it's not feasible to for me to believe that anybody can live off of one hundred and twenty dollars a week in this day and time. It's maybe back in nineteen fifty five, maybe, but in twenty twenty, one hundred fifty five dollars is not you can you can barely buy a good pair of speakers for one hundred fifty dollars now. Yeah, I mean, and you should we should have anticipated. You know, we're 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 seeing folks who are even people who are eligible for these programs aren't getting them in a timely man- manner, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we got Trump who wants, who people are gonna get their checks, their paper checks later because he wanted his signature on it. Like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> do, you uh, think, do you think this is a byproduct though of uh, capitalism? I mean, in order for capitalism to actually function correctly, you have to have a winner and a loser. I mean, it's based upon competition, right? Somebody has to lose on, on, on some level. Is, is this a byproduct of the very system that we're, we're, we're living in? I mean, you see, I think it's definitely capitalism driving his urge to reopen the country. You know, what we're, New York's just started to flatten the curve. That does not mean it's improved. It just means it's not as, it, it's not as bad. It, it's not continuing to get any worse. It's just stuck at really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and New Jersey is about to reach that spot. The other, other states are, have not reached their peaks. Here in South Jersey, you know, Cumberland County and Salem County, we're the last counties, we, we are amongst the, the lowest three in terms of cases mm-hmm. that we have, but we're doubling every three to four days because it just took a long, a little bit longer to get here. Um, mm-hmm. So we're not, South, South Jersey is not out of the clear. Um, yeah, so, well, so, let me ask you this, I'm gonna cut you off, let me ask you this. Is it be, because we have certain cultures that won't even get tested? Like we have like cultural barriers that say, I'm not going to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And for, for certain people, it goes all the way back to the Tuskegee experiment where they said, you know what, yep. I'm not even messing around with the doctor. Yeah. And you know what? That's 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 real in our community. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a real history of of really something really terrible mm-hmm. happened to our people that was conducted that was allowed by the government. So mm-hmm. um, I mean I get I get the hesitancy, but you know, I I'm I'm still encouraging people, you know, if you were showing just adhere to the guidelines, wash mm-hmm. hands, get hand sanitizer if you can. Don't go out unless it's absolutely necessary. 
Um, I know right now, and I, I was talking about Acme um, through Instacart. If you join Instacart for the first time, mm -hmm. you get a free grocery delivery from Acme. Mm -hmm. just, just that your first order will be free. So like, you know, just be on the lookout and try to figure out how you can sort of really minimize your exposure. And I know, you know, those folks, those folks who are delivering that food obviously are going to be exposed, but they're being compensated for that. Um, you know, and I, I actually ordered a couple of weeks ago and I, you know, I, I understood that I was in my decision not to go into the grocery store, somebody else was going to be doing it as their job. And mm -hmm. I gave a tip accordingly because I understood and respected that work. So um, there's a lot of uh, businesses out there, too, that are, are creating hand sanitizer. Shout out to uh, Guy Zampa and Little Water Distillery. Uh, the local breweries mm -hmm. there um, that are shut down, they're, they're um, also a distillery, sorry, also creating hand sanitizer. So Little Water Distillery is actually giving out free mm -hmm. hand sanitizers right now, um, you know, mm -hmm. the little travel size. But um, there are pockets of things um, that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, I didn't even know about this cart thing, but there's a lot of mm -hmm. things and a lot of research that's that's available to people right now. Um, we just got to go out and, and, and unfortunately, you know, do the work to, to find those pockets mm -hmm. of things. Um, yeah, and I've been trying to amplify that. Whenever I hear about those, you know, whether it's the food pantries that I've been volunteering mm -hmm. at and giving folks produce, the food kit, the soup kitchens where, you know, we've been giving out hot meals. Whenever mm -hmm. I'm going to be there, whenever I know they're doing that, I've been blasting on social media, you know, uh, Lazy Eye Distillery in Landisville, um, mm -hmm. right on Harding Highway. They've already, they've twice in the past month, they've already given away hand sanitizer um, for mm -hmm. free. You know, they're travel size, but, you know, it's, it's in short supply and you're getting it for free. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to keep, we're going to keep, if you, the campaign pages will Cunningham for New Jersey. If you type that into Facebook, you'll find it and, you know, we'll be, you'll be able to get our, our notifications about those kinds of services when they come up. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, Will, let me ask this. So, again, I, I, you know, traditionally follow a lot of politics and I'm a I'm a voter um, as a voter because I want to focus on you. Why, why should I vote for Will? Yeah. You know, I think experience matters and I, and I have the dual set of experiences that matter. Um, I'm the only candidate in this race who when I talk to a person who has gotten food stamps or is in, on food stamps, when I talk to someone who's had their electricity, gas, or phone or cable shut off at some mm -hmm. point. When I talk to voters who have been homeless at some point or someone that was born to a teenage mom and I tell them, I understand, mm -hmm. it's not a talking point, it's real. Okay. So that experience matters, but also the dual experience of having been on Capitol Hill for six years. For the past six years, I've been in the trenches, you know, mm -hmm. fighting for New Jerseyans, fighting for people across this country you know, I've taken on corporations, pharmaceutical companies. I've gotten CEOs fired. That's mm -hmm. the work I've been doing up until, until I joined this race. That's what I was doing on Capitol Hill. I was a chief investigator on the House Oversight Committee working for mm -hmm. Elijah Cummings until he passed away this past fall. Um, and we need people who have both of those experiences because having that experience on, in D.C. knows I'm prepared to do the job on day one and I'm prepared to do it to fight on behalf of people who need a fighter because I know their struggle. Mm -hmm. Question for you. Well, um, now I have a, a say 12 year old that's interested in to going into politics. Um, what kind of advice could you give this 12 year old who might want one day follow in your footsteps? Like what are some of the, I guess, the pitfalls, some of the, the struggles and also some of the good stuff that come along with being a politician? I mean, at that age, it's all, it's all good stuff, right? It's just like you can get involved in community service projects. You know, the Red Cross is always, uh, you know, there are local offices everywhere, you know, get 
trained on you know Heimlich maneuver they, those having that kind of skill set right and um, mm -hmm. you know and, and as a teenager as a kid you can be a volunteer for those kinds of things um, the American Heart Society American Cancer Society you know they have annual um, you know March for Our Lives and things of that nature you these were all things that me and my friends planned together when we were in high school um, and you can you know blood drives things of that nature mm -hmm. and um, you know, I gave blood for the first time when I was 17. So you don't really have to wait to be an adult to really have a beneficial impact on your, on your community. Um, especially, you know, and you can do that at any age. I think, you know, um, for, I was one of those kids who was always just running for stuff. You know, it was like class rep and, you know, your homeroom class and, you know, student body president, that kind of thing. Um, you, you don't have to have, you don't have to do that at a young age, but if you are inclined, you know, those are good programs to sort of build your skill set. Um, mm -hmm. Public speaking is important, right? And so, you know, if you have opportunities to become a better public speaker, you know, you, um, I know it's a little hard, to, especially as a teenager or as an adolescent to sort of lean into a weakness, mm -hmm. um, but you have, that's something you have to become comfortable with because you can't improve things you ignore. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I did that. I was, they had a program called Toastmasters in middle school it was an after-school program. I think it was like a five-week after-school program where you just worked on public speaking. I did that at the age of 12. Um, yeah, I got involved in debate and um, debate and mock trial. And that, I'll be honest, I, I'm, I still get nervous when I public speak. It's not, you know, you are putting yourself out there every time you're in front of a group. You're never not going, you're never not going to be nervous. It's not going to teach you not to be nervous. You're getting the skill set so that despite how nervous you are, you still do a good job. That's what that's that's what's important to keep in mind. Right. Mm -hmm. I tell we you know, I tell young people all the time about public speaking and they get all nervous and things. That nerves is energy. And it's mm -hmm. about channeling channeling your energy into the right places. You can let it overcome you or you can use that as a as you know, energy to, to deliver whatever it is that you, you want to deliver. Um, yeah. I don't know not one athlete, not one public speaker who doesn't get nervous before they go on. Um, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of how you channel those those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, professional athletes get nervous before they go on the field or the court. Mm -hmm. Like that's it's, it's just a thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Jamie, I want to give you an opportunity to ask questions. I know you took notes. Uh, I don't know. I didn't I see you up there oh, shaking yeah. your head. I love putting you on the spot, but I know you took some notes earlier. So I did, I wanted to give you an opportunity to ask Will anything you wanted to ask him if you have any questions. Well, and I asked a, a question um on behalf of teachers. So do you have anything or, or do you have any platforms in regards to the education that that you're working towards yeah absolutely i think for you know having been a teacher for me it was always important to make sure they also had an adequate voice and you'd be shocked how many people on capitol hill are doing education policy and have never taught in a classroom um which is important for me because you know when yeah. i was i worked in senator booker's office when we uh when the elementary and secondary education act was reauthorized in 2015 and that's, you know, that they for the first time, they were really going to revise No Child Left Behind. And I was working, I was doing education policy during that time. You know, we fought to maintain accountability standards and make sure that schools um, had the tools they need to track your kids. We also mm -hmm. made sure they, they, that it was now required that school districts across the country would have to track homeless and foster youth. Mm -hmm. Because we, and I personally knew um, that those, are, those kids don't self-identify. You know, mm -hmm. teenagers, poor teenagers are not going to let you know that they're that they are homeless. This, this is a fact. Mm -hmm. So, you know, making it, it having schools sort of uh, be motivated to to keep better track of those kids. Um, teacher pay 
is still too low. It, it's always been too low. Um, that's obviously something we need to address in a real manner. And I know a number of presidential candidates, I know when, when Kamala was a candidate and still running, she had a really good proposal out there that I that I really, that I, I can see myself supporting. Um, you know, it, for me, I've been, I've been really broad um, in my my fight for education. Like even as a as an investigator, you know, I I, I fought about pharmaceutical companies that price gouged. Mm-hmm. Um, I've investigated uh, e-cigarette companies who were getting kids addicted to to jewels. You know, I investigated Jewel. I got like when I talk about getting holding corporations accountable. You know, we brought the founder Jewel in for a hearing when we discovered that they were marketing to children illegally. Um, and and, to, and so much so that I talked to some high schoolers who who uh, we brought down to testify at our hearing that testified that a subcontractor of Jewel came into their school and under the guise of a health assembly, no principals, no teachers, counselors, just this presenter and the kids told these kids in their auditorium that that uh, vaping, vaping was safe, jewels were safe, and demonstrated how to use it in in a school. Hmm. Um, and so we brought we brought those we brought those kids down, and we brought the founder of Jewel into our hearing. And two weeks later, the CEO of Jewel was fired. Um, and we know that's and that's a, that's a school issue because kids are already bringing a number mm-hmm. of issues into the classroom that are distracting. The last thing you need is someone taking a puff of an e-cigarette while your back is turned as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that that was happening. Um, but I've also investigated, you know, Betsy DeVos has been a cancer to mm-hmm. teachers across the country. And, and I personally investigated her cabinet. You know, she's, she's rolled back protections of every kind. Um, she's brought in formal lobbyists of problematic industries, like for-profit colleges. Not all of them mm-hmm. are bad. And some of them have given people some good degrees that have gotten them to better jobs, but some of them collapse and they take these they take money from people who are desperate to change their lives and use education to do it and then they collapse and people of all ages and races left with tuition bills they can't pay no job and worthless class credits and a worthless degree mm-hmm. and so we did investigate investigate betsy devos and the people that are protecting these kinds of schools um, and we got some students relief and so i've been pretty across the spectrum from you know, you know, you know, we know universal pre-K is needed, and I'm in support of that. But from universal pre-K to three-year-olds, all the way up to to uh, to college education, I've been fighting that fight. I'm going to keep fighting it because there are vulnerable populations at every segment of the education spectrum, and that's who the people I want to fight for. Mm-hmm. I think now is the perfect time for change, especially in the educational industry with everything that's going on. I think on the back end of this, I think parents have a firsthand uh, understanding now of what educators do and the importance of teachers. Um, I think mm-hmm. now is probably a, a prime time. And I think it's one of the, the industries that could possibly change on the back end of this pandemic. Um, and I think now I just don't want us to, to lose this opportunity to, to be able to make some much needed changes in, in, in the educational uh, arena. Um, it's, it's, I think it's really important um, you know, that we, we get the system right, or at least headed in the right direction, because right now there's a lot of pockets that we, we're not serving the children the way that mm-hmm. we're serving across the board, uh, especially those that are in low social economical areas and, and things of that nature. It's definitely not equals and unbalanced that goes on. Um, mm-hmm. we're in with We talked about this in our last uh, 
podcast, we even talked about how certain uh, educational policies in regards to um, teacher observations and things of that nature needs to be taken. The whole system needs to, we need to take a situation, a time now to look at the whole entire system and see what's really working in all of our classrooms and start mm -hmm. making those changes now. But now, again, there's no line what we've been saying. Now is the time to prepare for that. Um, not, you know, waiting to everything clears up. Now is the time for us to start preparing for that, um, especially educators and, and, and parents that are out there that now see the importance of, of what we do every single day. Not only that, Niso, um, just that fact, when you speak about the inequality, just think about when we were required to go to virtual learning, and then we realized that not everybody has a device. Mm -hmm. Then we realized that, man, not everybody has internet. So mm -hmm. the unfairness of education, I mean, it's it's always been there, but it's sort of like that elephant in the room that everybody wants to talk about. We all know the families that struggle. We so, know about it from day one, that this is the family. We know that, you know, there are a whole lot of things that's going on and we did nothing to a system. And it's starting to bleed into even the middle class, right? So they mm -hmm. take for my district, for example, we don't have enough Chromebooks to be one-on-one. -on -one. So mm -hmm. I think one per family, right? So now you have to take a family that has four kids in it. They got one Chromebook and maybe another computer and mom and dad's using that for work if they have to do that. Mm -hmm. now you got to share on top of all this work that's on top of it. You got to do that. And then I have teachers that have kids, right? Their own mm -hmm. kids. And then they're teaching, you know, someone else's kids. They're like, there's still, there's so many inequalities that, that exist and it's starting to bleed into the, the middle class. That's why I think it's really important for us to take a look at it right now. Um, because I think that the landscape of education is going to change um, mm -hmm. across the board from K all the way through the university up to the university level. I mean, they're already talking mm -hmm. about no physical um, classes for colleges and universities until January, possibly at the earliest. So uh, mm -hmm. the landscape of education is changing, um, but it's going to come down to the haves and the have nots where it's going to be an imbalance that's going to exist. Um, mm -hmm. in and that's why we need that's why we need, you know, uh, politicians who are there to advocate on our behalf to make sure that we have certain policies, mainly educational policies, because like I've always said, that education is the greatest equalizer. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter which background or what barrier you have to overcome. If you're able to have access to it, it can change the scope of your entire life. Your it can change generations of your family. Absolutely. And why it's really important, like when he, he mentioned, um, I think she's the, the secretary of education that you had mentioned. And her, her policy. like we have to make sure that this upcoming election that we're paying attention and that we're going to put the right leader in place to make sure that everyone has, you know, equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we want to switch gears before we get out of here in our podcast. I'd like to have a little bit fun, a little bit lighthearted on it. Uh, we talked about some heavy things here. Um, and we as we also always do an empowerment perspective. Uh, but we have two segments that we like to end our show with. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> our two foot assassin up there, Jamie Roberts, he's going to ask about all things little. And then, of course, Mr. Petty has his segment as well. I'm going to go with you, Jamie, first. Uh, okay. To the ladies. So um, all things little. The floor is yours. Okay. I really, really dislike small vacations. I really, so <laughs> I know. I know. But hear me out. Hear me out. Like, if I'm going to go somewhere, I don't like tell me we're going to go to this great place and do all these things. And then we're there for like two days. That's like really, <laughs> like, if we're going to go somewhere, we need to go there and be there for a, an amount of time for me to be able to relax. I need a few days to get comfortable. 
and see stuff and then I can enjoy myself. Well, here's the thing. We went to a city, I'm not gonna say the city that we spoke at, we went to a city and I felt like we went to the city and I thought the two, three days that we were there, I thought that was enough. Like I don't know if I could handle any more than, than those those two days. What if you're in a place where it's just like, all right, I've seen everything and I've done everything, I'm, I'm good. Like you still wanna be there another four or five days. At least like when I go somewhere, I wanna be there for at least like four to five days. There, there should not be a two-day vacation, ever. So this particular city that we were we visited and spoke at, you would have been okay with another four or five days there. Well, we were there for two. So if we were there for like another two or three days, I would have been able to do some shopping, go see some stuff, hang out and do some social things. I get it. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Sometimes a three-day weekend vacation is like a little nice pick-me-up though sometimes too. True. You just, can't, you just can't travel too far. I think traveling too far for something that's not that short is that's not a good payoff. See? Well, maybe you should have came up with the vacation, Jamie, instead of relying on, on this person to create the vacation. Maybe I'm not saying I did it. I'm just saying I don't like the idea of small vacations. What do you think about that, Mr. Petty? Well, it's his thing. <laughs> a vacation is just what it is. It's a vacation to get away from what your daily life is. It doesn't mean that every morning you wake up, you have to have a, a to-do list, okay? We need to go and tour this place. We need to go to the museum. That, that's work. For somebody like me, it's work. No, no I'm, I'm going- saying you have to do something every day. Like if you're there for extra days, then you have it. Like when we went to Disney World, we went for eight days because I needed rest days in between to like sit at the pool and have a few drinks, like days that weren't planned. I wasn't going to Disney if we weren't going for more than a week. I'm not going to Disney for three days. That's stupid. Are you the type of person that has to have an agenda on vacation? No, I really don't. It sounds that's like you do. Mm -hmm. No, that's why I need extra days because if I don't have an agenda, then I can take my time. Mm -hmm. I'm going on vacation to do stuff. Me, I'm going as probably as far as the door in my hotel room. That's what a vacation is for me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay in my luxury room. That's a vacation. I'm ordering room service every day. You ain't you ain't learning your lesson from the other city that we spoke at. You spent all that money and. <laughs> That Listen, I had, a, I, had a, I had a corner room with a view. It was nice down in Atlanta. Yeah, let's see. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Teddy, you wrap it up for me. What you got for it? Yeah. So, well, so quick question. I'm on my mission to be able to gather as many petty people as possible. I want a petty army. So would you consider yourself as being petty? Is this for me, this question? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I want you to join the army. I need federal representation. Representation this time. I need to get some bill passed about being petty. I mean, well, that, that, I mean, I'm not a chief petty officer or anything, but you know. <laughs> okay, so no, I mean, I mean, politics is difficult, right? Because people take cheap shots all the time, mm -hmm. and so. But I'm also like the way I was raised. You're not just going to, you know, talk about me out of turn, and so mm -hmm. I have had to come out forcefully about. There's been some things I would have let slide, and some, but sometimes you, some things have to be addressed. Mm -hmm. um, you can be called petty for addressing some some things like that. Um, but like that's, you know, in terms of answering Jamie's question, like I do have like small stuff, like really small stuff that bothers me sometimes. No, I'm talking about when you're calling someone to see that they're going to support you in your campaign and they hang up. 
You was calling right back, like, no, you didn't just oh, have me God. hang up on me. No, no, that's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta keep it moving. We gotta keep it moving. We got like, no, if you if you if you won't give me the time of day, then you just did me a favor. I can move right along. We got other people to talk to because we got we got voters we got to bring out. And if you ain't on board, mm -hmm. we got to keep keep going. Now I received a text message right that that said that they wanted me to like sign a petition. Right, this is in the midst of the pandemic. So I got the text message. I looked at it and I typed, "Yeah, I'll sign a petition." I can't remember exactly what it was, but <laughs> then they called and it's like, "Well, we want to come by and we want you to sign off on a petition." No, nobody's coming by. So is that petty? <laughs> no, I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, not wanting a stranger to come to your house is not petty. That's just safe. Hmm. I don't know. Me myself, I think that I'm I'm willing to like sign a petition. But I'm not willing to let you come to my house in the midst of a pandemic or non-pandemic. Nobody comes here. <laughs> Interesting. I don't think it has to do. Yeah, you just no one comes to your house. That's nothing to do with anything else other than the fact that you're just being petty. Point blank. <laughs> well, well, we thank you for your time. We always like to close out our show by giving our guests, um, well, say our last words of, of advice or anything that you want to shout out or how can people get in contact with you and find you yeah. um, and all that stuff. So. Thank you. So to learn more from me, thank you all for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, you know, like I said, I tell this story because people need to hear it. And, I, you know, I'm authentic about this, wanting to fight for people who struggle. Um, to learn more about my platform, you can go to willforsouthjersey.com. On Facebook, it's Will, for New, Will Cunningham for New Jersey. Um, on Twitter, it's at Will Cunningham. Um, you know, the, our election's been moved back from June 2nd. It's been pushed back to July 7th. So, um, you know, we need some people to come out and um, and support uh, someone who knows their struggle. But um, I want I I also do have a small petty thing I wanted to end on too because I I always forget to how much it bothers me until it happens. Every time I ask for dipping sauce at a fast food restaurant, having worked at McDonald's before, like I'm like, oh, right, if someone if someone always ask, if they ask for it, they always got it. I asked for it once, and I know you're supposed to check your bag before you pull off, but like. For not getting my dipping sauce is really a, a huge pet peeve. <laughs> then I got I got to eat sauceless nuggets. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, it's a thing. So, so well, now I need to ask you: When you were an employee, did you get mad when somebody asked you for extra ketchup? I mean, no, because I understood. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe acting like it's their personal ketchup and sauce, though. Like it's not yours. Like just give me. No, nah, I mean, you got. I mean, if I give you three packs and you're asking for three more, then like that's a that's a little overkill. But yeah, <laughs> Jamie, did you check your bag before you pull out of McDonald's? No, we. I just got the McDonald's today, and I said, "Can I have extra syrup?" And not only did I not get extra syrup, but they didn't put syrup in the bag. And I said it to like every person <laughs> that I got syrup? that I ordered from. Did you go back and tell them about it? No, no, you do not go back and ask for stuff when they mess your order. Your order. Up. They're gonna give you some syrup. It's not the kind that's gonna be that you're thinking. They're gonna give you some other kind of syrup. Special, special stuff. But they messed up. You're supposed to call them out on. Yeah, it, what's gonna happen? He's gonna say, "Chris, we need some more syrup. We got somebody who wants extra syrup. That's what's gonna happen." <laughs> one person in the restaurant that has extra syrup is gonna be Chris. Too funny. Jamie, any last word before we get out of here? No, just. Do some research before you vote. Uh, if you're old enough to vote, you should vote. It's your your right to vote, and make sure you know who you're voting for. Awesome, Mr. Mm -hmm. Petty. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I'm so petty that I'm actually going to endorse. I'm going to endorse Will 
for no other reason is because he knows the struggle of having food stamps. That's the only reason why I'm going to vote for Will, because he knows how it feels to have, have, like, have that white money. Nobody understands the struggle of having oh, food stamps. No, those, 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 those paper, those, 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 I mean, they got cards now, but I mean, when I was a kid, there was paper, and yeah, I know that. I know that life. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. Again, Will, thank you for being on the show. For um, everyone that's out there listening, now is the time to for change. Um, mm -hmm. We need strong leadership. Um, if there's anything that you're passionate about, uh, be it education or not, um, start doing your research um, and start looking for leaders and, and putting them in the right place. Um, if not for anything, you know, I personally vote um, just because people get, died for me to have the right to vote. So I pay homage to them um, and, and doing that. I'm in education because people died for me to have a right to be in education. So um, I just look for pockets to want to, to give back in that sense as well. But now is the time for you to um, think about the change you want to see on the back end of this thing. Um, it's it's going to be big, especially in the world of education. Um, on the back end of it, there could be a lot of changes, and we need to have the right people in place in order to make the right changes. Uh, we can mess around here if we want to, but um, we need to make sure they have the right people in the right places so that we can get this thing right uh, moving forward in terms of education. So, uh, and big shout out to uh, Will and anybody else that's out there putting in that work too. Uh, definitely pre appreciate everyone that's doing that and, and willing to give back. So, um, as we say always here, stay tuned and stay empowered.